Welcome to the Skillset Podcast, brought to you by the School of Information Science at the University of South Carolina and Publishers Weekly. I'm David Lankus, Professor and Director of the School. There aren't too many librarians who get into the business in order to sue the federal government. And to be fair, Jason Broughton, the State Librarian of Vermont and a fellow at the University of South Carolina's iSchool, I'm happy to say, didn't want to join the club. But as the head of the census for the state of Vermont, he wanted to make sure everyone in the state was counted, and he needed the administration to reverse its attempt to stop the in-person counting early. And he succeeded. His commitment certainly extends well beyond the courtroom, however. Listen to him talk about engaging all parts of the community, especially those that distrust government. Jason Broughton, State Librarian of Vermont. Um, I'm proud to say a graduate of the South Carolina Library Information Science Program. Um, Thank you. How are you doing, sir? I would say I'm doing uh, rather well. There have been, of course, challenges that we must navigate since we're all kind of um, experiencing the shared experience known as COVID. But there are also other aspects. You know, there are political situations, um, societal items, and um, racial upheaval all occurring. And so for me, it's one of those things when you can think back um, about different eras, you might say, well, what was the 1960s like? Or what was um, the invention of penicillin like? Or how a variety of other aspects. And in so doing that, it's going to be kind of unique when they happen all at the same time. <laughs> so <laughs> you have to kind of navigate it to understand what that will look like and then move forward with that specifically. And so you make the best of a situation that you had no, let's say past or historical item other than reference in looking at it through a lens of a history book, what one might need to try to do. So we're in uncharted waters, but at the same time, it's an interesting time in which um, some of us are just making as best we can as we navigate the situation. So, you know, one of these conversations, it's a pretty regular theme of I never had any training, a course in preparation for, as you said, a global pandemic and uh, social uprising, all that happening. With <laughs> but one of the things I know you absolutely were never trained is suing the federal government about the census. Uh, and, and that's a, a little bit of what led to this conversation. And I'm wondering if you can, you know, parse that sentence and give me a little bit of background about your role in the census and Um, where it took you. Yes. All right. So in um, having the job in Vermont, one of the things that you learn is that you um, have uh, three or four jobs that come with that. (laughs) This was not specifically one of those that were associated with the census. But um, in my role, one of the things that I was doing as I was working with our state data coordinator, Michael Mosier at the University of Vermont, and um, almost like a year prior, and he and I were going just to different things separately, but he was doing a few presentations for us um, on data and the census and how libraries can use it for genealogy. On the other end, I was going to a variety of different meetings with um, the chief of state library organizations known as COSLA, and they were just kind of saying like, well, get ready, we need to make sure that libraries can participate and make sure that they get the word out on the census. And also as a byline, you know, the census, when it comes to apportionment, does impact the entity that helps a lot of libraries across the country, which is IMLS, it's an item of money. So I saw it as a nice role to kind of say, hey, 
let me go ahead and punctuate that and help our libraries understand that they need to help citizens in Vermont be participatory in the census. Well, to make a long story short, I kept um, yipping and yapping like a little dog at somebody's heels and they kind of paid attention. And before I knew it, I was kind of asked in a nice way to uh, chair the Vermont Complete Count Committee, which would be the state's first state complete count committee that it had probably set up. Vermont has always uh, done a lot of things very locally because it's a very locally controlled state and it is definitely connected to community. And in so doing that, the role of the committee was to help the local community and also the local complete count committees kind of navigate the census in addition to being the middleman between the federal entity, the U.S. Census Bureau itself with operational logistics, and also ensuring that those things roll out. Our main charge, however, was to deal with hard to count populations, which people sometimes forget about. Uh, people of color, yes, they are in Vermont and they've been here historically, almost since the inception of the state um, to, I think, some people's surprise. Um, for example, one of the most prominent people, people might have heard of, um, if not, it'll be a unique thing, is Alexander Twilight. Um, he is the first African-American to graduate from a university in the country, um, particularly uh, Middlebury College, and was a Vermonter. Um, so it's quite unique to know that, um, that that was an interesting item to kind of also delve into for information. But our charge had to also do with people with disabilities, small and rural areas, um, single parents, ch children are also considered that, um, indigenous persons, and then a little tiny interesting group that's not really talked about a lot are those who distrust government. So as you can see, that was a very simple group to connect with, and they understood all the reasons why they should participate. So um, we had an interesting charge, and we thought the year would um, go very, very smoothly, but that was back in January, and here we are now going through a variety of different revolutions. So the committee's goal was to just ensure that we had a complete count and work with hard to count populations. In the end, myself, I was appointed chair and Michael Moser, who I mentioned, became the coordinator and the two of us went off together to ensure what we could do to promote the census as much as possible. And so you're, you're doing that, you're reaching out. Um, many people, well, probably know, but if they haven't, as you said, the census is important because it directly affects how government and federal money gets apportioned. And I imagine also in terms of local governments using it on a regular basis, libraries using it to understand their service population. I mean, it's it's one of, it's one an underlying core piece of data. Correct. Um, and so everything's going perfectly fine uh, and we're on schedule and then the pandemic strikes mm -hmm. and uh, the administration goes from a statement going, we may need more time to suddenly saying, you know, we don't need, we don't, we can stop a month early. Am I getting that roughly? Slightly. There are some nuances to that. So when we started, we, in our case, just like a lot of other states, were already uh, preparing to roll out the census and its normal distribution, which is about five months. Usually the census is officially kind of wrapped up by September 30th regardless, and it kind of starts slowing down in August, but that's under normal circumstances. In this year, once March hit, there was a real big awareness that this was not going to be something that we we're going to be able to say, oh, this is just a month shutdown. Once March hit, and by the end of March, we realized how bad things were. There were many calls where people said, well, this is an unprecedented year. 
maybe the census should be put off. And that also created some interesting conversations because what people don't know is the census is a constitutional act and it's also um, a right and it's almost a requirement that all citizens participate within the census. And so lots of conversations are going on. The Bureau, of course, itself can't really speak for itself, but it can actually just give awareness. So it stopped a lot of its operations, which meant normally in March and April and May, they would be connecting to guess what, universities and doing what is called group enumeration. Well, the universities all sent students home, things were changed. Um, group quarters, as it's also called, also had to take a different direction because usually you are connecting yourself to jails and prisons and nursing homes and all settings where there are people, where there are groups to get that count at the same time people are doing what is known as self-reporting. All of that went upside down. So that meant all you could do is really focus on self-reporting, which a lot of our states did. You did that through social media, through email, through listservs, all the in-person events that we had scheduled throughout the summer. Those all had to be changed. Well, once June hit, we began to hear that the census was examining the operations and saying, we think that we can start coming into states, but not realistically setting ourselves up. But we can be organized and plan for what's about to come. Um, the middle of June kind of hit and we realized, okay, they're, they're probably able to now do this. Things don't look as bad, but they're still horrible. And then July, it just allowed the census to kind of come out with the numerators and start doing all the things it needed to do. As that's going on, you still have top level conversations of people saying, what is the census going to do with this time period? It normally takes five months. The census um, sought relief to the Congress, which again um, has the information, they did not pick it up. And the census, of course, was also seeking relief from the president who could probably issue an executive order to do so. So it has been kind of perplexing to see that um, the presidency has not really examined it through that lens and administration kind of waited to see what was going to happen. And eventually um, during July decided to create, I would say, two memorandums that we all understood were not probably going to help the Census Bureau seek the relief that they were wanting. Um, I think the House might have wanted to do something, but of course you have um, to have both uh, chambers be participatory and the Senate has not picked that up per se. So within that, it just fell flat. Um, the president issued a memorandum specifically to some different items and said that um, we were looking to end the census on September 30th. And in addition, it would be where we would be um, excluding um, a certain populace of the country from participating in the census. And the memorandum specifically is the memorandum on excluding illegal aliens from the apportionment phase following the 2020 census count. So that was very specific, very detailed. Um, that was challenged immediately and by ourselves, uh, the state of Vermont and a variety of other states into saying that the constitution uh, does not necessarily say that. It says that you are to count all whole persons in the country. And of course, that means that we also understand who is visiting the country and who also are business people from other countries and a variety of items. So all whole persons would be residents of the country itself. Um, we put that together and it was then seen um, in district court, um, the United States District 
court, the Southern District of New York and ourselves and a variety of other uh, plaintiffs um, had to do declarations, which I worked with our civil rights office in the Attorney General Office of Vermont with to craft. And we also had a health statistician from the University um, Department of Health, University of Vermont, also kind of assist in that with the declaration itself. And so we put it in. We believe that we would be successful, but I was um, surprised by some of the findings and the outcome based on the um, opinions of the courts. What surprised you? Well, when you do something like this, you use your library skills, and I hadn't really um, used the law side of my skill set since <laughs> I went through my first school. So I'm definitely not the best of a law librarian, but within that, it meant that I needed to really first off go back to my own um, self-worth and understand that you can research some things. You do not do this. You are a librarian, which meant that I had to look through a lot of legal um, documents and understand them for what was precedent, what was the past, how could I assist? And then after that, you begin to look at what you need to do to come to a conclusion. And so in doing my declarations, I talked about the variety of things as far as the impacts to Vermont and how the um, situation would be less than positive based on the memorandum that the administration has created. So once the um, item came out, it was a stunning surprise to um, hear from the uh, Attorney General's Office of Civil Rights uh, Division. Let me know that, yes, we had won, and that um, just as an awareness that a part of what I had declared was actually part of the opinion of the three um, district court um, judges. And so that was specifically stunning to actually be noted in an opinion in which there um, is a win um, for the plaintiff in this case. And of course, the administration plans to appeal. We don't know what the status of that looks like, but it was quite unique to see that. And we were basically um, looking at a specific, I would say, section. There's a policy, and if I'll read just a piece of it, and it's um, basically for the purpose of reapportionment of representatives following the 2020 census, it is the policy of the United States to exclude from the apportionment base aliens who are not lawfully immigration status under the Immigration and Nationality Act. And within that, it continues to kind of go forth in a variety of conversation as to why this is seen as the best um, applicable item. But in the end, it basically is also saying that the president of the United States has the um, authority to do this and to ask a secretary once the census has concluded to look at the data, remove who they deem as unlawful um, immigrants to the country, and then decide the reapportionment based on that. Well, that's not what the Constitution says. The Constitution says all whole persons are to be counted on a specific time frame to ensure that it does not say who is considered um, illegal. I understand why so much want to think that, but when you have the document from our founding, say all whole persons between this time and date should be counted as part of the um, citizenry of the country, you do it every decennial, which is basically years that end in zero, and in that year, we're doing a count between a specific portion. This is how it works. Um, does the president have certain powers? Yes. Is it limited just to those specific things? Well, the opinion in the end said no. <laughs> and within that, um, it basically discussed all the different types of items. The portion that I was noted on was about the work that we had done along with the um, 
specific ways that we tried to conduct the census by offering many grants to a variety of people. For example, there's a large group um, that is an advocacy organization known as Migrant Justice, comes out of Burlington, Vermont. And might, people might not understand that, but Vermont is a very rural and small state. It has a lot of uh, farms for different items. And so they rely on temporary seasonal and migratory workers to come do anything from apple picking all the way to dealing with um, the nation's milk supply. And people might not understand that. So we wanted to make sure that they were counted. And we actually have a lot of farmers who are very supportive of having them participate in the census. So when the issue came out, it would have been where all of that would have been for not. But in addition, we would be not counting people who were here working on behalf of the country and its citizens to help with the food supply. And so we thought that would be a very negative issue. So within that, they um, proposed their um, answer and we were um, declaratively told that it was a win. <laughs> and so this is something where I believe you, before, I'm not, I think it was before we were recording, you said, you know, I, I, this wasn't a decision I made alone. This was a matter of going and, and, and really making sure everyone in Vermont that was gonna be sort of around and behind this message was ready to go as well, correct? That is correct. It took a, a huge undertaking on our committee. We have a lot of appointed people. We also have nonprofits, business organizations, and individual citizens in helping with that. So we, of course, all had to be uniform within the action. And that was kind of a resounding like, yes, you need to go ahead and do this. At the same time, I couldn't really discuss it because once you enter into uh, legal conversations, there are things that you can discuss and you cannot until the specified time, which was um, putting in the declaration, connecting with the Attorney General's Office Civil Rights Division quite frequently, and even a variety of other entities to make sure that um, what we wanted to say was exactly what we wanted to say. I would also note, it is not um, something I need to be shy about, for those who are watching, our governor, um, Governor Phil Scott is a Republican and the legislature is primarily one that's Democratic. Um, Vermont could be seen as a very progressive state, but it also has a lot of conservative streaks within it. Um, some people might not understand that as you have this mixture of two things going on at the same time. Um, it probably did not do us any favor that our governor has um, openly said that he does not like how the president has handled himself and he um, is not going to be voting for him. So that also um, was not in our favor on that as an item as well. If I could jump back, you know, first I wanna make sure, Nicole, if you have any questions um, to bring you in. Yeah, I have a question, uh, but David, if you wanted, if you had any follow-ups about the case, okay. So Jason, this is all really fascinating uh, to me, and I'm I'm thinking about how much I'm learning from your discussion. I'm glad and you find it fascinating because a lot of people sometimes don't. I find it very interesting. Yeah, and I, and I mean, you know, I, I think it's fair to say that perhaps, uh, you know, I find it fascinating, but I also haven't had to do it, right? So then there's <laughs> that there's that nuance there. Um, but I'm guessing that a lot of our students and a lot of practicing librarians don't have this level of expertise, right? Their understanding of the census is something uh, perhaps more rudimentary. It's something that is not being withheld from them, so they don't realize the additional challenges. Um, and, you know, to circle back 
to your comment about people distrusting the government, there are lots of librarians that distrust the government. Um, I'm thinking specifically about the campaign to make sure that the CIA and the FBI were not allowed to come to ALA to recruit librarians mm -hmm. for the workforce, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, it's this tendency to lump the government all together, right? So for our librarians, our listeners who are not involved on a statewide level in the way that you are, uh, but are doing things on the ground and in the libraries, what is it that we need them to know? Uh, so, and then from the library in library and information science education perspective, in addition to having this wonderful conversation, how can we do more to make sure that we are educating future information professionals to really uh, take on the type of fight that you have just described? I would say the first thing that I realize is probably something that um, I have had bestowed upon me by my family back in South Carolina um, growing up, even through library school, which is people forget, it's really important to do your first amendment rights and be vocal and protest. The other aspect, however, is you've got to be in the room where the conversation is being held. And so I understand my counterparts who are like, I just distrust government, but it does us no good if you're not seated in the room with government to even understand the conversation. You're sitting outside. So you can scream and holler and protest, but you don't know exactly what the conversations are. Right. And some people might find that kind of like, what do you mean by that? If you are not in the room when a conversation is taking place, even if you disagree with it, you have no idea what is being discussed. You don't know what the parameters are. You will only hear the reverberations after it is, mm -hmm. in a sense, done. And in some cases, guess what? You can be wrong. Mm -hmm. And you have to make sure, if you're in this profession, that you um, not necessarily want to be wrong. Librarians have this nice nuance where we can do wrong in action, but our action is we're providing you the information, which should not be wrong. Because the nice thing with our profession is, I can come to you one day and say, give me everything that has been a lie that has been stated. And then the next breath come back and say, give me everything that has been true. And that is our role. We don't say, well, let me show you what, what I think is true. And let me show you what I think is right. This is about, this is what the profession is. So as you go forward and looking at this, the census impacts our lives daily. Um, I could pull up South Carolina and look at it for examination. But I'm just going to use Vermont. For those who are interested, um, George Washington University um, Institute of Public Policy did a review known as Counting for Dollars. And again, the census can't really advocate these types of items, but other entities can. And what they did is research on how each state is impacted by the census, particularly through a variety of different programs. This is uh, the geeky side of me coming up because this is all information here. It's like, oh my goodness, people understand this information. Guess what it can do? So. In the Counting for Dollars um, report, they give you the global view, but they kind of tie it down to the Department of Health and Human Services, 55 largest programs that impact a state. Um, for Vermont alone, that was $2 billion, mm. Medicaid being almost half of that. Well, the overall aspect is about $4 billion with the census when you lump in all the ways it impacts from the federal government. And that's just the fiscal appropriation. People forget this is tied to student loans, reapportionment, how libraries get funding, 
um, a variety of things from SNAP, TANF, WIC, all of the social programs are also there. In addition to things that we actually have to have done, roads, bridges, education, all of that's included in this. The other aspect of it, however, is the redistricting. So within that, the census also is a way in which not only does it deal with apportionment, it deals with state legislatures. So representation is also hinging upon this. Some states are terrified they're going to be losing representation, particularly um, in the North and the Midwest. While guess what? If you follow patterns, guess who's gaining population? States like South Carolina. So if the census really were to be looked on in a certain way, South Carolina might actually add more representation. So it's a very unique item and you pay attention to, oh, this is exactly how we deal with our money on a federal issue to obtain it back to the states, but it's also how we also have representation. So when it comes to what can the School of Library Information Science kind of do, the biggest things I would say would be, yes, you have to always be skeptical from time to time, but you have to be participatory we can only ask people to take and participate in the census, even though we're telling them it is your constitutional right to do so. You still have to ask people. I would say the same thing for librarians. We are representative of what we want our government to be. So I become a little bit more, uh, I, I'm just going to be honest with it, um, very dispassionate when I hear people say, well, the librarian shouldn't work in the federal government. And I'm like, and then we open ourselves to what? So if you don't have a person, not necessarily me, but people like me who say, well, I think this is wrong. I think we should do this. Then who do we have? Are we just relying upon some good faith person that we think is supposed to be there? Well, that's just not gonna work. You're going to have to have trained people with ethical and moral items, compasses that you have to navigate daily. It's not saying that right now I'm gonna be the most ethical person under this case I was. Each item must be looked upon to say, how does this impact me? What's the best outcome that we can actually get? My training allowed me, as I ascended into to this position, to not be ready for this time. I was never told this would actually happen, but I relied upon it when it did. And I think a lot of people might not understand, you've got to be participatory. So I think, yes, schools of library information science would do well to say, we need to have people like ourselves in a variety of different agencies and entities, because not only is it good policy to help the American public understand information, you also can give people who need it most at the most unexpected time information that can be reviewed that is best, quantified and you can say as a librarian i've done my job for you i've given you the information and it's up to you to do it now if you want to ask my personal opinion should you do this that's going to be totally different but i'm giving you what i've done and you can only then walk away but when you walk away you can always say if someone questions you oh no i gave you gave that person everything they mm -hmm. were given this and this is all done under testimony so i think it would be really helpful for librarians to examine what it is as our profession, what we are asked to do, and what that looks like. Because of course, we do love books, but again, I'm not the first to say this, I like what's in the book, not the book itself. That's a whole different thing. If you like the smell and texture and feel of a binding, <laughs> that's a wonderful thing for you. I'm all about what's in this book that's gonna help change people's lives. We'll return to our interview in just a moment. 
First, I'd like to tell you about our sponsor for the podcast, the School of Information Science at the University of South Carolina. Interested in librarianship? Then join a nationally ranked program with over a quarter century of experience educating leaders in the field online. From the State Library of Vermont to San Francisco to the Business Library of Oxford University, our graduates lead in schools, cities, and states around the U.S. and beyond. Now, let's get back to our interview. And I think it's really important the distinction you made between the personal and the professional. Um, You know, without getting into that false narrative about libraries are neutral, we do have that obligation to work with the community uh, and not with this idea of we're going to impart our personal opinions uh, and beliefs uh, on you. Um, I wanted to also swing back to something you were mentioning earlier about those hard to reach populations. So uh, whether you're you know, talking about it in relation to the census or not, can you talk a little bit more about what you're doing uh, in the state of Vermont, what your librarian constituents are doing in the state of Vermont to reach those diverse populations or those marginalized populations, or as you refer to them, the populations that are harder to reach. How does that work uh, in Vermont and maybe some initiatives or examples? That's going to always be a continual topic, I think, for the library community because based on what is in front of you at the moment, what might be considered hard to count on one level can shift to be something a little bit different based on the need and the timing. Libraries have always been helpful in providing information. And again, we're getting into a a debate right now because libraries, in my opinion, are in transition, but not in the way that people think. I have seen some people just almost be upset saying the library is becoming a library of all things and shouldn't we be pulling back? And I'm like, pull back to what? And so Mm -hmm. when they say, well, before it was about books and you could go in and do a newspaper and I would just quantify that saying, well, let's talk again about what's in the books. I mean, the newspaper, when you talked about um, jobs, I think libraries were doing workforce at that, except it was passive workforce. You came to the library, you looked at a newspaper and you went straight to the jobs and the classifieds. Therein you go, right there. A librarian could say, well, here are some jobs. Just look over here. But now it's virtual. You can put somebody on a computer and say, let's go to these websites. So the nuances are there in looking at how you want to be community-centered, but how you want to engage your community. So libraries in a pivot, at least in Vermont, um, have heard me express it this way. All that you are doing is you are dealing with information. And no one could really, I would say, argue against that. But what it meant for me was to discuss, well, what what do you mean by information? Well, when I used to be a teacher, the big thing I remember is you can't teach one style if you're trying to reach all your students because all your students learn differently. Mm-hmm. Professors all the way down to um, pre-K know this. If you're a lecturer, boy, let's see how that works with a bunch of um, preschool children, you're going to get up there and lecture about the ABCs. They're going to love you after an hour of that um, if you <laughs> last the first five minutes. What it means is libraries, in my opinion, are always doing things through an informational lens, but they sometimes forget that there is the sensory component to that. So when you are having any type of programming regarding whether it is food, 
all the way up through music, you are trying to connect to give people forms of information stimulation in a very, very different way. So you're having auditory, you're having taste and smell, you are having connection, empathy in some cases, out of body experiences, because you provided some form of stimulation, which is information to those senses to say, I understand this. That's how I think libraries reach people very differently. And so in looking at connecting to those different types of groups, it's allowing you to examine how do I connect with a variety of people in my community on one topic, but allowing it to be picked through on their best way to actually sense that information. Um, the census was one in which we had to discuss, well, who is considered hard to count? And that was an understanding that some people might think through a racial lens, but it's racial, gender, sex, class, ability, all at once. And in other cases, you have to examine your community and say, okay, that might not work in mine, but I do know what you're saying. I know that here we have a lot of underprivileged people and it might be financial. In other cases, we have never really reached out to the minority community. In other cases, it even goes further back to say, yes, we actually have an indigenous population here known as the Abenaki in Vermont, who we have not paid attention to. Um, the state has recognized them, but they don't have federal recognition at the moment. But what does it mean to kind of connect with more of them and so if you can understand what it means to provide people information, you then begin to realize information needs to be pivoted to people in a variety of ways so that they can be best informed on a variety of different levels. Absolutely. I hope that wasn't too amusing. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. It made perfect sense. Thank you. I'll give but it back what to does yeah, what does it look like, Jason? I mean, give us some examples of, of I'm particularly interested in um, people who distrust the government. How oh, do you reach out to that group? Okay, so all states probably have this. Some states have it more than others. And in our case, it was an immediate understanding. The uniqueness would be that Vermont is a locally controlled um, state primarily. Some people say, well, I'm locally controlled in South Carolina. No, you are not. It is county-based. In Vermont, you are going town by town. And some people still might understand that where the easiest way to state it would be Vermont is one of the um, New England states that practices what is known as town meeting day. I cannot imagine um, not if people would understand this. So Richland County would be the county, but you can't even take it that way. You literally would have the citizens of Columbia come and sit and discuss everybody's single budget. I don't think people would even understand that. The smallest town to the largest city, but you would be a part of that, not a county. The city would say, well, we're going to talk about the library budget. We're going to talk about the school budget. We're going to talk about the police department budget, firemen. And you sit down and say, oh, my goodness. The uniqueness of that would be is you are having community. Some people say, well, that sounds so old fashioned. I don't think you could do it. But it does force you to guess what? Know who your neighbors are. Sit next to your neighbor and say, well, Dr. Lankas, I know you work at USC and I'm looking at their budget, but I'm going to cut you by 50%. It's going to be kind of hard to look David in his face knowing that David just gave me a bag of greens last week for me and my wife or so. And it's like, oh, am I, am I hurting David? You begin to actually not only be thoughtful, it's not saying be scared. It means you have to have some upfront conversations with people. So in the library world, programming that allows you to connect to your community has been very, very interesting, particularly at this time with COVID, but with the census, it meant 
alerting people to what the library could do. It also meant connecting with speakers within those communities to say, you know what, we want to reach out to you. And what does the conversation look like? Um, and in some cases, it's like we want to be treated like anybody else. We just didn't know that we felt comfortable to come to that. And in other cases, could we put up some artwork? Could we do a program? Could we host a luncheon? Could we just do something that's geared to that? Could you come over here? There are lots of conversations in how to connect with hard to count. Those who distrust government is a very different item. Those are people who have unique, specific caveats that they are looking for. And in this country, you have the right for freedom of expression. But within that, you sometimes have to have conversations that say, well, that is all very true, but it does not mean that you don't have to listen to people. <laughs> it does mean that if you believe this is the way of life that you would like, well, let's talk about how that works. And that's been one of the things that we, I don't know if we want to say we were successful in doing and talking to those populations. It did mean saying, here's why the census is important. Here's how it impacts you. And if there is anything that you can do to assist us in making sure that we can keep this freedom the way you like, we would like for you to participate. Only a few people who I would say were really die hard. And I understood the belief, but it also meant that we would be going to a place that I could not myself um, fully understand if you're like, well, I don't believe in this constitutional process, or I don't believe in government. And then you can go off into philosophical things when you say, oh, so you don't believe in regulation at all. So I then could agree with you, but just know, I think it's gonna be hard for us to move here. And somebody said, what do you mean by that? And I said, well, for us to get back in our car, since if this was a case of not believing in regulation, I'm gonna just go through stoplights. I'm not gonna stop at stop signs. I don't really have to talk to the police. And so they were like, well, no, it's not that. I said, oh, but you said you didn't want any regulation. So which one do you want? Because that's a regulatory, that's an enforcement item. So let's have a conversation about that. So then people say, oh, well, I see what you mean, but you didn't understand me correctly. Well, help me to understand you. Let's have this conversation. In the end, there are a lot of people who understood the process and they let us know that they were participate. We are, um, Thankful for those who did. We will never know exactly if they participated the way we would have liked. But I would say one unique little um, caveat that I had to give someone, and I don't know if I was successful, but I, I offered them pretty much a piece of myself, which was they weren't budging, but they were more appreciative of talking with me and saying, if more people were like you, blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, I appreciate that. And I stopped and I said, well, you know, I understand what you're saying. Um, we can all dislike parts of the government from time to time. But how about this? Um, I don't know if it worked. Um, I am going to say this because it's on record, but it's going to be unique where I, I basically asked the person, I said, well, if you could just fill out the census as much as you can. And then they said, well, how much do I have to fill out? And I said, I don't know. Um, the census has never told me exactly what they do with partial, but I'm assuming that there is something to that. But if you could just fill out as much of this as you can, it's only nine questions. I tell you what, I will come back and I will look at what you have said. And as a librarian, I will find information as much as I can to help you legally stick it to the man. Does that work for you? How about that? I can help <laughs> you do that in my role. I can find the legal way for us to stick it to the man. It's these things called technicalities. And and he just laughed and laughed. And he has said, no one has ever said that. And I said, well, I'm just trying because I, I understand what you're saying. But I think 
part of how I see this is for you to continue feeling the way you want, I need for you to participate in this. And this is all I can do to ask you to participate in our government. He says, well, you obviously know the constitution. And I said, well, not as best as I can. I just know certain parts. And so with that, we ended and I just hope that he participated. But that was one commentary in which I personally connected with someone in a way to say, please participate. Yeah, no, that's also fascinating. And what I'm hearing you say that I just kind of want to raise up is this idea of having relationships with people. And yes. if you don't already have relationships with people, that uh, real emphasis on developing relationships with people. Uh, and also you mentioned something that I think is really important that people don't think about as much is this idea that you said that you had to give a piece of yourself. You have to, you, you should be doing that um, for a variety of reasons, unless you are one of those people who I call it extremely strategic at all times. <laughs> I tend to be a person, yes, that's strategic, but I'm also um, going to show you my true self. And within that, I believe that comes out as much as possible because people do sense in a lot of cases, if you have the best intention, they can fully disagree with you, but then they can walk away and say, oh, no, I understand exactly what he's trying to do. I don't like how that's being done, but boy, a person like that would probably make me understand why somebody's more passionate or I understand why they put this person in this position to actually do the things that are there. So in having a relationship, it helps us to understand each other. And I learned quite a few things. I mean, um, the old joke that I used to hear is, you know, just because you have voices in your head that telling that are telling you that people are coming after you doesn't mean it's not true. Paranoid is just good thinking when everyone's out to get you. <laughs> you know, it's, it doesn't mean it's not true. I mean, people say, uh, how do I? You can't answer that because you can't say it's not true. Even in your own mind, you're like, I think my voices are telling me to do something irrational. You're right, the voices are, but boy, it, it's not saying that the voices are necessarily exactly wrong. So one has to go through the nuances and examine where you can find connection and say, well, how is it that we can be on this planet? How can we be on this, in this country, have differing views, but still go together and say, oh no, I, I'll fight for you on this and you fight for me on that. It's a shared responsibility. But libraries are very, very well suited to be um, portals in which people can go to find information for all. And I think that's what we sometimes um, lack in providing to people because of other factors. And it could be financial, it could be leadership, a whole host of items. But in this specific case, I would say having skill sets of librarianship with um, understanding the role of a librarian helped quite a lot. Well, and I'm, I'm just thinking, we talked to a lot of folks as part of the podcast and things like getting your entire organization online before you go ahead and then don't waffle once you move ahead. The idea that librarians need to stand up and be in front of their advocacy for their organizations, not just wait for other people to stand up. And I'm just thinking about, about this point, which was because um, exactly what you said about the census, which is reaching out to these marginalized and hard to reach populations for census. I imagine there's a direct analogy to reaching out for support of or connection to the library every other year. Um, and, and what I heard was the authentic give of yourself to a degree. It's not just the information you're giving. It is it is the fact that you're building, as, as Nicole said, the relationship back and forth. It, you know, Vermont's 
I heard once heard a state library described this way, which is once you know one state library, you know one state library, right? So every every state, every region is special in its own way. But I'm thinking about that hyper local, you know, town by town by town, conversation by conversation by conversation. And I can, you know, it sounds very familiar with I've heard library, you know, suburban library directors who have ten mayors that they're that they have to have that conversation with. I've, I've you know, I've heard. Um, of school libraries saying, I need to have that with teacher by teacher by teacher to make that kind of connection. And I've mm-hmm. heard that in academic libraries about, you know, needing faculty member by faculty member. And, and there's no magic bullet or one quick route to building that kind of relationship. Is that a fair statement? I would agree. And I would say um, I'm a bit different. I tend to be quirky, full of energy. But at the same time, I treat every conversation as its own. And that's what you kind of have to do. I think a lot of people might not see the need necessarily for full authenticity, but I always am trying to make sure that people are aware of what the library can do. Um, Again, I wasn't specifically tasked with this with it, but I will say that it is one in which it has allowed me to have the library scene continuously as one of the places in which the information here, whether you agree or disagree, is what it is. There isn't a cover-up. This isn't, um, we're going against the, pre- it's, no, nope, the information is we want you to participate in the census. Here's what the census does for the town. Here's what the census does for the library. Here's what it does for representation. And that was just a message of here is state information here is federal information that you should be examining and if you disagree here's how you disagree this is what you do to tell those persons in fact i know the person running the census his name is jason broughton i can get you in touch with him and so that's how the libraries treated it and that seems to have allowed vermont um in a very nice way to also last week we didn't hold it completely because now we're in sixth place but for a while vermont was fifth in the nation for having it's um, census enumerated. So it, 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 it charged forward where people said, this obviously is important. We believe that this will help our state. And if this is what you say it is, and we trust you, but I've also read what you asked me to be trustworthy with, I then will agree to participate. And so it has allowed that. Libraries have to really going forward, I think um, as we start to come out again, guess what, transition to the new reality. I think a lot of people right now are definitely mourning um, the past, but I am always one in which I tell people when they say, oh, I just want to get back to normal. And I said, well, what do you mean by that? And they said, well, you know, I said, well, let's not talk about the past in a certain way because we all know it wasn't working for everybody. So I think what you're telling me without correcting you is you want routine. You want that to be a part of your life again, which I fully understand, but we can't go back to what we just were. Um, we, we just can't, that that wasn't working. And so what does a new path going forward look like? So libraries have to transition. I think again, as I said, um, in the next two years, librarians will be re-examining again. What is it now to be a library coming out of the pandemic and um, political and social a variety of items and libraries again need to be prepared for what does it look like to connect with your community on these topics well and based on a previous conversation uh, prepared for a community that has gone through a trauma dealing yes. dealing increasingly with a traumatized community at all levels 
I think mental health, um, particularly when I call it that with um, health and wellness, will be to the forefront of a li lot of libraries' topics. Um, community conversations may take a whole different place, and I think that is something that we should be preparing ourselves for, because whether you um, believe in this or not, I think some people might not really understand the time frames. And if you just slow down a bit, other than if you don't believe that there's a pandemic, but some people don't, believe it or not, you will have to say, wait a minute, this is my personal opinion based on what I have read. And this is not like, oh, Jason drank the Kool-Aid. It's more or less saying, well, wait a minute. Um, my first degree was a biology degree from Florida A&M. And a vaccine is going to take a year, if not more. Now, some people say, oh, well, we might have one soon. That doesn't mean you're going to get it. Consider yourself the general populace. Somebody may say, well, maybe you'll get it. Well, the governor knows me, but I don't think he'll be advocating, make sure the librarian gets a, a shot. We got to make sure that, no, it's gonna be, there are gonna be certain entities that will probably receive it first, and then it will start to be phased out. But that's gonna be incremental, all based upon a variety of factors. What is the level of exposure one has to have along with what is the efficacy and how long can you be immune? So every time I use my library mind, I'm still saying, wow, we are going to be dealing with this in some form or fashion for another year. I, along with a lot of people in our state, our governor has kind of said in a, in a very low way, you really should be focusing your, your attention on 2022. And hmm. some people might be disheartened, be like, you mean a year from now? Think about how this has to roll out. We have large groups of people who are ill, who are going to need vaccines. You've got to constantly keep the vaccine going. And America is not the planet. So what that means is the planet is going to have to have large amounts of this vaccine because we might say, oh, we're kind of normal in America. But if you love international travel or you want that cruise, you ain't going anywhere. America will be your paradise until the world heals. So one must, of course, be prepared for that to say, well, wait a minute. It's like Vermont right now. We have the lowest um, amounts of death and uh, only 58 at the current moment, which is nice, and the lowest amounts of transmission. But we are surrounded by juggernauts. And some people say, what do you mean by that? Um, to the south of us, we have Massachusetts. To the west of us, we have New York State. To the east, we have New Hampshire. And to the north, we have Montreal. All of them at one point in time had massive outbreaks and little old Vermont somehow stayed quiet. Now, some people say, oh, that's a testament. Yes, the governor did a nice thing. But the governor would also tell you up front, at any moment, any individuals in those four entities can just converge into Vermont and that'd be it. So we all realize, oh, this is not just about us. <laughs> the, the state can do well, but the people around us can be doing very, very um, problematic items. And within that, it all means that we have to navigate this together. So how do we best get there? Lots of conversations and connection. Dr. So, Cook, any last point? Yes, thank you. Um, so Jason, you mentioned uh, mental health and mental wellness as, as something that libraries should be paying attention to moving forward. Yeah. Just to uh, kind of bring us full circle, what are other things that you think libraries will be thinking about post-pandemic, if you will, in addition to mental health and wellness. Goodness. I see mental health and wellness on the first aspect, but you can take um, derivatives of that that go into areas of um, play, actual just play. 
um, feeling good, but I also see things that would be helpful, um, humor. And I don't think a lot of libraries have had a, a lot of experience with that. What is it to deal with laughter? And that could be through performance, through interesting books, because we're going to need to laugh coming out of this. We're going to have to have that um, within that. So I see a lot of creativity coming in a variety of ways of innovative programming. I also, again, see a redoubling of efforts to navigate information. And that one's definitely a work in progress in my end because, for example, we've had a conversation here that I've been watching in Vermont on our listserv where some libraries said, it's just so problematic and I don't feel comfortable. I want to get off social media. And I was so surprised by that. Other librarians chimed in and said, well, we have to go to where the people are. And if they're on that platform, that's the only way we're going to be seen and be visible. I fully understand what you're saying, that the stuff you are reading, which is massive. If you are on Facebook right now, to me, I'm going to be honest, parts of it are personally a sewer. It's a sewer of information in which you say, I cannot believe I'm on this. But it has, here's the thing what people forget, it has these wondrous, amazing abilities to connect and share with people that people forget. And then if you talk to people like me, I will say, but if you dislike that, aren't we they? We're on Facebook. We're the, I mean, if people really understand that Facebook is not the entity creating this, they have not probably done the best job at navigating and controlling it. But I also have to remind people, yeah, it's your cousin, it's your person on the street that you see these crazy posts and realize, wait a minute, that's not Facebook. Facebook is just the actual portal that allows that. It's up to us to say, how do we want to talk to each other to say, is that really proper that you do this? Is that the best way you want to navigate it? Because you can definitely deal with information, but I think libraries are also going to have to redouble efforts to deal with the massive trove of information that is now available. That will truly be a work in progress because it's going to take a lot of information to get people to be, guess what, literate in media literacy and information literacy. And those two are synonymous, but they're almost exclusive because media literacy is a whole different conversation. I mean, I've seen things where if you're clicking through before you know it, you're like, well, of course I believe that these people are out here killing people for no reason. At the same time, you're like, well, wait a minute, where did I go? I was here, how did I end up on this page? Mm -hmm. It's an interesting thing to watch how information just kind of sifts through and the next thing you know, you're reading stuff if you're not paying attention saying, this looks skeptical. Wait a minute, how did I end up on this page when I knew I was searching for this? And I think librarians are going to be the next group of people. Um, again, since the founding of the country, the library, the library is seen as a place of which um, impartial information is given to all at the same time championing. This is the truth of the information. And then here's what other people said. Take of it what you will. That's going to be the next stage because it's just going to be like drinking um, from a fire hydrant if we're not mm -hmm. careful. Mm -hmm. Well, Jason Broughton, um, South Carolina alumni and fellow, uh, State Library of Vermont, you know, a secondary title. Uh, thank you so much. <laughs> always, always wonderful, always to have a, an expansive conversation. And, and now uh, a welcome member of the Brave Librarian Suing the Government Club, um, which is, which is 
really impressive. Thank you again which for your I, time. Which is, thank you. I, I did not set out for that. I just wanted us to win the case. But yes, it was a really nice thing to see that happen, but to also be honored in a way in which the um, AG's office let me know. Um, just as a side note, they said, you don't understand how big this is, but um, you're going to be in a lot of law books for a very long time and a lot of law school libraries. So you should at least be happy with that. And I was still stunned to realize like, what are you saying that seriously? And they were like, no, you're in, you're in the law book, sir. You will be noted. And that was it. <laughs> Introduce yourself as a precedent. It's always good. <laughs> All right. Thank well, you again. Thank you so much. Enjoy your day, everyone. Yes, great to talk to you. Thank you.